Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Today is Thursday, September 17th. Coronavirus cases are up in 17 states. Snowflake stock is down, at least a little bit. And we're focused on Amazon's $2 billion effort to go carbon neutral. Earlier today, Amazon announced the first recipients of money from the $2 billion venture capital fund it formed in June to help combat climate change. Among them was a startup that's trying to sequester carbon dioxide in concrete, one that provides forest carbon offsets, and another that's trying to recycle batteries and electronic waste. What Amazon's doing, though, this isn't charity. For starters, it hopes that these investments will generate strong returns. Again, it's a venture capital fund. Second, it wants these companies to develop technologies that will help Amazon meet its own stated goal of net zero emissions by 2040, which is no small feat when you consider how much carbon Amazon expels, not just from its package delivery vehicles, but also from its massive AWS cloud server farms. And just in case the general public isn't aware of its intentions, Amazon recently paid an undisclosed amount to rename Seattle's key arena Climate Pledge Arena, and that's where the NHL's new Seattle Kraken hockey team is expected to begin play next year. In 15 seconds, we'll dig in deeper on what Amazon is doing, including how much is sincere and how much is spin, with Matt Peterson, Amazon's Director of New Initiatives and Corporate Development. But first, this. We're joined now by Matt Peterson, Amazon's Director of New Initiatives, So Matt, let's just start big picture here. It's one thing for a company to come out with climate pledges for its own business, which Amazon has done. But the second part, this $2 billion venture capital fund, why do that? Well, this all starts back to what you were saying about Amazon looking at its own needs and being net zero carbon by the year 2040, which is something that we established with the climate pledge. Now, in order to do that, we're going to have to use technologies, products, and services that have yet to be invented, commercialized, or scaled. So the purpose of the Climate Pledge Fund is to put money behind companies building those solutions. So it's not just what we can do today to decarbonize. It's also looking into the future. So in essence, what we're trying to do is promote other companies as well as ourselves to take advantage of these technologies that haven't yet been commercialized and get to a point where we can be net zero carbon. $2 billion. Is that just kind of a working number? Because obviously you didn't raise the money. It's Amazon balance sheet money. Is that just kind of like a back of the envelope? We think $2 billion might be more, might be less when we're done. I think we categorize it as an initial $2 billion. And the reason why we have it as that is because we want to be able to focus on investing in a range of companies. So for example, we want to be able to invest in early stage companies, startups, series A, series B, and they could be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. They could be in the single digit millions. But then we look at a company like Rivian, we invested hundreds of millions of dollars too. So we want to have that flexibility to go small and go big, depending on the stage of the company and Amazon's willingness and readiness to work with them on decarbonization solutions. So you take those into consideration. I think $2 billion is a good start, but we could definitely go beyond that in the coming years. Matt, historically, the last big, call it renewable or clean tech push in the venture capital world was maybe 10 years ago at this point. And for most VCs who got into it, it was a disaster. They lost most of their money. It just didn't really work out as a financial investment. Does Amazon care if these investments return money in the traditional venture sense, so long as the products work and you guys can use them, as you say, in your regular day-to-day business? 
Well, absolutely. We're not doing this as a charity. This is meant to be an investment program that returns on our investments. If that's the case, then what's different, do you think, today in 2020 than would have been true if you'd done this a decade ago? Yeah, great question. Two things. A decade ago, it was a timing issue, too. I think that there was a lot of excitement around what could be done in sustainability and clean tech. I think people got ahead of themselves with investments because the rest of the world, companies and governments weren't ready to go there yet. So if you look at the Gardner hype cycle, I think they just got on the wrong side of that. And today, I think it's a much different environment for those types of companies. And secondly, and probably more importantly for Amazon, the way we're approaching this is from a demand perspective, not a supply perspective. We're asking ourselves, what does Amazon need as a company to decarbonize? And we're finding companies that produce those products and then investing in them that way. So it's not a question of let's build the technology and if they build it, they will come. We're coming at it from the standpoint of we will be a customer of this technology today if we can find the right company. And I think that's a much more sustainable way to invest in these. Speaking of that demand side, is there a fundamental tension, I guess you could call it, between Amazon's core business and the idea globally kind of of reducing dependence on fossil fuels and greenhouse gas emissions? I mean, you guys are ultimately a delivery company. Every time I get something from Amazon, it's a van that shows up to my house and there was probably a truck and a plane before that. Yeah, well, Amazon's a very complicated business. You know, people think of Amazon as a technology company, but you're right. We're a logistics company. We make devices. We produce movies. We do a lot of things that go beyond just data centers. And so in order to address that challenge, I think we need to have programs like the Climate Pledge Fund that are investing in solutions that will help produce sustainable aviation, that will help decarbonize trucks, that will help decarbonize shipping across as products come from Asia to Amazon. And so the challenge that we face as a company is the same challenge that the rest of the world faces too. And so by investing in these products and companies, we're trying to really get to a point where we can address all those needs together. Give me one example of something you guys would love to see, something that hasn't been invented yet or hasn't been successfully invented yet, but that you haven't been able to find yet. Okay, you just described it. We'd love to see aviation that does not emit carbon. That's one of our biggest challenges. And there's really nothing out there today that can address that. Talk about electric airplanes, electric jets. They're decades away, probably, from being something that Amazon could use for its operations. That, I think, is one of the hardest ones for us to address. You talk about decades away. The Amazon's pledge, as you said, is uh, net zero emissions by 2040. Let me ask you about an in-state rival, which is Microsoft. They have pledged to be carbon negative, but a decade earlier than you. Why are you guys 10 years out from where they are? What I mentioned before is that Amazon is more than just a technology company. We have planes and trucks and ships and everything else that goes beyond data centers. But the broader point, which I think you're making, is that technology companies and companies in general are really embracing the net zero mantra. And that's exciting. I think that corporations are going to have to take a leading role in reducing emissions. And you have companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Google, others, or maybe if you look at the Climate Pledge, what we're building with our coalition of companies like Mercedes and Reckitt Bankheiser and Verizon. These are large corporations that can really make a difference, I think, by pooling their collective resources. They can going forward. I wonder, though, looking back, when you think of, you know, Amazon's been around for basically three decades at this point, how much has Amazon contributed to climate change since its founding? It's funny because from a sustainability standpoint, Amazon has been working on this problem for a long time. We haven't been public about it until the last year with our climate pledge, but the organization has been around for a lot longer than that. And I think it's something that we've addressed 
or we're trying to address increasingly so as we go forward, because I agree, it's a global problem that corporations need to step up for. And Amazon, as much as any other company, is responsible for where we are, and we need to take responsibility for how to get ourselves out of this. As you say, you weren't really public about it. Is part of the reason you guys are going public that in your home market of Seattle, you guys face a lot of political pressures on taxes and other things. And this is in one way, a way to help uh, maybe offset some of those, particularly with the left in Seattle. You know, as I mentioned, we've been working on this for a number of years, way before. But going public with it, putting your name on the stadium, the hockey arena downtown. Well, putting the name on the stadium, I think, is just more to put a stake in the ground, to say that this is something that those naming rights go for a long time. And basically, if people look back in five to 10 years and they say Amazon hasn't done anything since putting their name on the stadium, that's on us. Every hockey game, every Kraken game that is played in Seattle, every WNBA game, every concert, you're going to see Climate Pledge Arena on that. It's a forcing function for us to make sure that from Jeff all the way down for all the business units, we're focused on this issue. And if not, we have the weight of public scrutiny on us to make sure we're going to keep our word. Well, I believe if you do read about it, I believe the Kraken historically is carbon neutral. (laughs) So Matt, thank you very much for joining us. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today are New York City schools, which announced they'll delay the return of in-person learning, which had been slated to begin next week. The reasons? Continuing teacher concerns about safety and an acute staffing shortage. Why it matters is that this creates big new logistical nightmares for many parents of the more than one million city school kids, or at least the more than half of them who had opted for hybrid or blended learning model, where you do part of the week in the building and part of the week at home. Some of these parents will simply work from home, like they've been doing for months, but many others might be forced to make difficult choices between taking time off from work, asking if their kids can do school from the parents' workplace, or just leaving the kids unsupervised altogether. Today, we're also watching Moderna, one of the two U.S. drug makers in phase three clinical trials for a COVID-19 vaccine. Today, it released a 135-page document explaining how it's running those trials and how it plans to determine safety and efficacy. Two important notes. First, disclosures like these are incredibly important. Twice on this podcast, we've had on renowned medical experts who've said they're concerned about the White House exerting political pressure on drug makers or on the FDA, but that it could be counteracted by transparency into the process and results. Two, Moderna suggests, but doesn't say outright, that it's unlikely to have a vaccine by Election Day, or maybe even by Christmas. Instead, the likeliest first full analysis of Phase 3 trial data won't come until late December with follow-up analyses in March and May. It is certainly possible that an emergency use order could come in the interim, but the company itself, the one that makes the vaccine, is saying not to expect solid safety or efficacy results until the middle of 2021. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national Apple Dumpling Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap. 